0: Gators Breakdown, the Gators fan podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 128, is ready to go, the last look for National Signing Day. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at Gator Dave underscore SCC, and joining me tonight, both co-hosts, Bill Sykes and Will Miles. You can find Bill on Twitter at real B Sykes. And Will Miles, the founder of readingreaction.com, our partnership site for Gators Breakdown. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. And will you survive the Super Bowl, post-Super Bowl chaos up there in the city of Philadelphia?
2: Hey, thus far, man, the parade's on Thursday, and I can only imagine how many fires are going to be set and poles are going to be climbed and all sorts of crazy stuff. There was uh There were some interesting goings on last night in the city of brotherly love. That's for sure. But uh, we only had only heard a few gunshots out where I'm at. There were a lot of fireworks and certainly a lot of people out sort of celebrating between, you know, 10 and midnight. But uh, I don't know. I had some friends who drove down to Philly last night after the game and uh, they, they had a fantastic time. So everybody pretty much behaved themselves for the most part. There's some videos out there of, uh, of various things that I suppose Philadelphia won't uh, won't be too proud of, but hey, the, you only win once, so, so that first time once, so enjoy it while you can.
0: I, I do remember the video you sent me of you uh, trust falling from an awning and trying to let people catch you.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm too fat for that, man. I, there's, there's no way I do that. I'll, I'll I'll leave that up to the skinny people who are a lot younger than I am.
0: <laughs> oh man. Bill, what's going on, man?
1: Man, this is like Christmas Eve for me, man. Are you kidding? This, I love this stuff. You know, and I was thinking, I was like, maybe that was the problem the last few years. We didn't leave Greg Nord's cookies out the night before signing day. (laughs) 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 But no, man, this is this is what it's all about for me. I love, uh, especially a good signing day, uh, a better one than we've had recently, and and looking very optimistically in the next forty-eight hours, and um, just. The idea of what we see on paper, we're like, wow, there's a talent injection coming to the roster at University of Florida, and uh, I'm just ready to see what Mullen can do with some new firepower.
0: Yeah, and going back to last week, Bill, you know, people really did pick up on when you were talking about, hey, look, there's going to be this article and that article and this tweet and that tweet talking about, hey, this is th- this guy can look here, this guy's going to look there, this guy looks good for Florida, this guy doesn't look so good for Florida. And you know what? It was like clockwork. You saw it every day, yep. probably from about Thursday, Friday. You really ramped up over the weekend because of the because of the visits and, you know, on Sunday as well, because visits are wrapping up. And you know there were a lot of a lot of articles out there uh, generating wonder for some of these recruits now.
1: Yeah, listen, man, I am a guy, like I, like I said last week, I've been following recruiting for decades at the University of Florida, and I've been through, the you know, the Willie Williams recruitment with this lobster, and Keith, <laughs> the saga when Keith Rivers was with Zook at the basketball game, and we were talking about how he was wearing a gator jacket, and I've been through the Dalvin Cook thing, and, and you know, in the, the good times too, the Tebow's, and, and Dante Fowler flipping on Florida State. And I've, so I've been through the highs and the lows, and like I said, the one thing that's constant is you reach this moment And it's usually right about this week where as they press for commits, the good news starts filtering through the program and people start capitalizing on that, trying to generate hype for articles or whatever. And it's this combination of factors that you start thinking like, oh, man, this is it. This is the big one. We're going to get the class of classes. And, And it almost never works out perfectly. It just doesn't, you know, for anybody. And, you know. But it, this is looking good. That said, yes, I, right now I'm hearing my inbox is blowing up with good news about every single prospect. And, and as much as I appreciate it, I know people are getting really great information and we're all kind of networking and sharing what we got and trying to patch this together, to give you guys an accurate picture. Um, some of this info that's coming from very solid sources and in a lot of cases coming directly from the mouth of the kids that are community coaches. Sometimes it just doesn't work out all the way. So we're probably not going to end up with quite as good as we think right now. But regardless, the floor of what we're probably going to see on on National Signing Day is still a vast improvement over where things have been under the past regime. And it's going to be a class that brings a lot of good news and a lot of excitement.
0: Absolutely, and we'll definitely take a look at all of that. But remember, before we do, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Search on those sites to get the links by following Gator's Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And you're on iTunes and Google Please uh, on Google Play, please rate and review the show, let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And as we mentioned, of course, National Signing Day is Wednesday. We couldn't go without uh, doing a show partly because Florida had their last visit weekend. A lot of things came out of that. Crystal balls about flowing in left and right for uh, on the 24-7 network about where some of these prospects uh, will be going. Uh, but, Bill, you broke it down pretty good last week, but I think we have to do it again because we, we get the question a lot about how many can Florida bring in, how many are they looking at. Um, you know, you came up with 24 counters, the two transfers, Van Jefferson, Trayvon Grimes, uh, 13 early assignees, so nine spots left. But you know, there's still some wiggle room uh, with, with that as well. We'll see what the NCAA does with Randy Russell's spot. Um, Florida could get one back if they learn now between if they learn between now uh, and Wednesday if they could fit him in or not. Does Florida even worry about the numbers? That's a question uh, I've been asked, and some people said they that there's some thought out there that they could not that they could just uh, go with the flow and, and maybe see and see what happens there. Uh, but the numbers crunching. Not only just for the 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 amount of spots that might be left, but the number of prospects that are left, Florida may find themselves crunching some numbers.
1: Yeah, they might. And just a really super brief uh, recap, because a lot of people are still asking. You typically you can sign twenty five each year. Those are what's called initial counters, regardless of your your scholarship limit, like how many guys you got on roster. You're allowed to take twenty five now, and um, Florida only has twenty four this year. The reason why is they took three transfers prior. Um, and they counted two of those back to the 2017 class, but one of them they could not. And so that took away from one of their 25. So that left them with 24. Then they took the two wide receiver transfers, uh, like you said, Trevon Grimes and uh, Van Jefferson. So that leaves them with 22. Then they took 13 early signees. So that leaves us with nine spots left. They've currently got three commitments in offensive lineman Richard Garage, offensive lineman Griffin McDowell, and wide receiver Justin Watkins. And so that leaves six spots left unless, like you said, Randy Russell's spot is approved by the NCAA to go back into the pot and take another one. I don't I don't know if they've already talked to the NCAA. I mean, they'll, they'll get it back at some point, but it's, yeah. they may have to be something they get for next year and count back because they had a spot open. Um, there's some. It, it's all kind of funny with that. But I would look for – about six spots. The only other way they open up another one or two is if things get a little squirrely and somebody decides to enroll later, you know, we won't go into that too much, but there's other possibilities there. Uh, But I would look for about six and with the board sitting at anywhere from 12 to 14 guys left on the board, not everybody's going to have a spot uh, unless Like I said to start the show, this doesn't go the way we think, and that's a possibility too. I mean, they may not fill out every spot this year, and Gator fans need to prepare for that.
2: Yeah, I think if you look at what they've currently got on the board right now with the 16 guys, you've got one quarterback, two tight ends, two running backs, a wide receiver, and four offensive linemen if you count Garage and and McDowell. Um, then you have four safeties, but they have zero corners, one linebacker, and zero defensive linemen. So really on the defensive side of the ball, I think, you know, that's where I'm going to be focusing in terms of where they close is those guys coming in. And, and you can see that in terms of who's available. I mean, if you look at the guys on the board, there are a lot of defensive linemen outside linebackers who are listed on that board. And there's a reason for that. Right. And, and so some of those guys are going to be coming and they're going to fill in those spots. But, uh, but certainly that's also where a lot of the talent lies as well. Um, and, and, and so it'll be interesting to see how they close and who they bring in. And, and you know, it, it's a good problem if you're if you're able to say to somebody, hey, we need you to gray shirt. Or if you're able to say there's not a spot for you. Um, I don't know whether they'll necessarily do that this year. I'm not sure that history indicates that in transition classes, you typically get to do that. But this is also a new year and that you've got the early signing period and you sort of have those guaranteed spots and you've really been able to zone in on these guys rather than having to keep that first part of the class together. And, you know, who knows, maybe it's maybe. It's it's a new, new time for this sort of stuff.
0: And talking about zoning in on a guy, we'll kind of quickly just look at this past weekend. Uh, the top prospect out of this past weekend was, of course, wide receiver Jacob Copeland, who was previously committed to head coach Jim McElwain. Um, McElwain gets fired and let, let go, of course, and then you know Dan Mullen got to kind of re-recruit uh, Jacob Copeland for, for Florida, and uh, it looks like he's done a pretty good job, but we've seen all the pictures and um, all the fellow players that Copeland was hanging out with and taking pictures with uh, going to the basketball game with this past weekend and coming out of the visit. Everybody thinks it, it looks pretty good for the four star wide receiver. Uh, I would be a big time get. This is a, a wide receiver, playmaker type of wide receiver. I think Dan Mullen can really do something with. It. And I uh, really also, it's one of those we keep talking about sending messages and, and being back to big boy recruiting. Like, look, Alabama's squarely in this one, too. And it would send somewhat of a signal uh, that, you know, a guy in the state of Florida. Look, how many times have we seen these big time state of Florida athletes go to Alabama and, and start making plays, and especially at wide receiver? This is another one to where it doesn't need to happen. And Copeland needs to be a gator.
1: Absolutely. That's the kind of guys we've been talking about, you know, all year that, that Florida has to get. You, you've got this. I mean, you're not going to close down the state. You're never going to keep every school from coming and getting a big target or two. You're not going to take them all. But you've got to win some of those battles. You've got to toe the line against the biggest schools and the biggest competition and the best coaches out there and not be afraid of Nick Saban. I think that's one of the very first things I said on this show when I, when I came on board last year and toe the line and win these battles. Well, here we are. He's done it uh, at quarterback with Emory Jones. Now he has a chance to get him a wide receiver, uh, a featured weapon to go with his young, uh, his young quarterback. It, it's coming down to the line, but it looks like he may just pull this one off.
2: And we've talked pretty extensively about the baseline of this class and just the 13 guys they've already signed really make this a pretty strong class anyway. Um, and so a lot of the guys he's going to add, I mean, obviously, we all want to be we all want to be greedy and we all want the best and we all want the the big guys who are out there. But at the end of the day, this is a pretty solid class, regardless of what happens on Wednesday.
1: It is. And, you know, one thing we were mentioning, though, at this wide receiver position, you talk about Jacob Copeland, uh, we're talking before the show. It's been 10 years, class of 2008, since Florida has signed four blue-chip wide receivers, four four four-stars. Now, um, Florida won't do that in the sense of uh, signing freshman recruits this year. Uh, But at the same time, when adding Trevon Grimes and adding Van Jefferson as transfers, I mean, that's essentially the same thing as adding a a junior college player who does count towards the rankings. And with Justin Watkins and Jacob Copeland, you'd be signing – the 89th best and the uh, 69th best players in the nation, two top 100 receivers in Watkins and Copeland, and then two uh, former players in Trevon Grimes and Jefferson who were ranked number 41 and number 106 nationally at the position. So you've almost got four top 100 players coming in at wide receiver in one group. And then when you add Emory Jones to that, who's a blue tip quarterback, they haven't brought in to the University of Florida a group of four blue chip wide receivers and a blue chip quarterback since two thousand six since Tebow and Harvard were here. And while I'm not for one second uh throwing Emory Jones and any of those wide receivers in the in the realm of being a Harvard or a Tebow, it's still a major milestone. And I, I love that Dan Mullen's doing it after doing it in two thousand six.
2: And I think you can't, maybe you shouldn't throw Harvin as the comparison, but one guy you can throw in is Tyree Cleveland. So he had a point nine eight one zero rating from the 24 seven sports composite. When he came in, Trevon Grimes is at point nine eight zero six. van Jefferson is point nine five one seven. And then if you look at Jacob Copeland, he's point nine six five one. And then, uh, um, where is he? Justin Watkins point nine five six seven. So really, you're looking at guys who are pretty close to the ability of Tyree Cleveland based on the 24-7 rankings. And you got four of those guys out on the field plus Tyree Cleveland. <laughs> and well, uh, that's was, that's a, pretty decent, and it's a pretty decent set of guys.
0: Yeah, and I was going to go there too. I was looking at Kyrie, Tyree Cleveland was the guy that brought to my mind too. He was a 34th ranked national player. So there you go. You're looking at top 100 receivers. All right, well, yeah.
2: they also do they also do very different things, right? So Justin Watkins is somebody who's gotten the ball a lot out of the backfield and you look at Jacob Copeland's tape and it's a lot more stuff outside. Certainly Tyree Cleveland is a lot more outside. And then I'm think, and then you get a little bit of both when you, when you look at uh, when you look at Jefferson and Grimes. So um, I think you're going to, You know, we've talked a little bit about how on defense, the idea of having Trey Dean and Amari Burney, you have some flexibility on the backside, having a point guard versus having a power forward on defense. Well, you could think about doing that on offense as well with these wide receivers.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say my commentary on that and be optimistic, but I'm going to have (laughs) a lot to say on Wednesday if they pull this off because you're talking about a dramatic, dramatic turnaround at the wide receivers position in one year.
0: And it was a position we've talked about, Kind of being uh, one of the better positions on the field, you know Freddie Swain and uh, Josh Hammond and those guys. But you know with disappointing seasons last year, uh, it would be interesting to see if Grimes and Jefferson are eligible to play in 2018. How those guys fit into the fold now? Uh, but with you, you've already. Talked about a another complete transformation in, in that uh, in, in that position that you know really liked under Will Muschamp got better under Jim McElwain but we really didn't get to see it because the offense and the quarterback position still just couldn't get it done. Now you 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 you're surrounding uh, you know a new system with with for, for Felipe Franks and a young quarterback, Emory Jones. You're, you're surrounding him with, with a pretty good bit of talent where we already think the running back is uh, pretty well set uh, as well and get, getting better in this class as well with Clement and, and Pierce. Uh, you're already looking at a, a talent infusion in just a short time uh, under Dan Mullen. Hey, look, we know we got to get the offensive line straightened out. But I would say the playmakers, if you get Copeland in, along with the names we've already said, and you have get these top 100 receivers, these blue-chip receivers, I think uh, you're, you're starting to see the transformation uh, go as far as playmakers go.
2: Yeah, the other thing is, is and, and that, so, I mean, this is right up my alley because if you bring in all these wide receivers and unfortunately I don't have my sign tonight, my wife cleaned the basement. I don't have my sign, <laughs> but it means you can move in Kadarius Tony from wide receiver. Cause you've got all these blue chip guys on the outside. So <laughs> again, flexibility, right? And you've got Daquan green from last year's class who yeah. ranked in pretty much the same stead 0.95, somewhere in that range in the 24, seven composite. So, um, it's a big deal to be able to bring in that talent, but really I think Copeland's sort of the icing on the cake. Um, there are other guys I'm looking at who are really sort of the meat and potatoes of the guys that I think they want to add. Um, and and those are sort of the guys on the defensive side of the ball f- to me.
0: Bill, you uh, kind of helped us out here with, uh, with the rundown of the, of the show here uh, where you want to go with the, we're talking about the remaining targets. We already hit Jacob Copeland just cause he was the more recent visit. And, uh, you know, Florida had an okay visit, uh, visit weekend, but uh Copeland's the guy that's really going to come out of the, the limited, I think, three guys were on campus and uh, probably going to be the only one out of this last visit weekend. There was plenty of attention since there were not many visits or visitors uh, on campus anyway. And like I said, we saw him at the basketball game with Emory Jones. It really seemed like the coaches could really hone in on Jacob Copeland this past weekend. But, hey, look, we've seen past couple visit weekends, plenty of guys on campus, and plenty of big names that the Gators are in for.
1: Yeah, and they had set up the last weekend to be like their big final push premiere weekend, and it didn't really materialize. And, you yeah. know, we, we mentioned that uh, a few weeks back, and I told you that the risk of that is that sometimes those guys get convinced before they show up on your campus to look elsewhere. And you saw that with Cornish Miller. Auburn, Auburn locked down that their defensive tackle there, and he didn't come in. Uh, William Barnes and uh, Ed Montalus decided not to visit. And I, and I think, you know, that was a, a situation where – I'm just not convinced Mullen had a whole lot of a chance to turn those guys. Now, I don't want to make excuses as a results were we in business, but they, they decided not to visit. They decided they were done and they didn't need to shop around anymore. It sounds like they're set to North Carolina. Uh, but at the same time, Mullen has focused on his guys. And, and like I said, we're still looking at probably close to 12 guys for a limited amount of spots. So if you want, we can kind of go down the list here just on – quick rundown of who's left on the board and how that's shaping up. We can talk about the crystal ball friends.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, of course, a lot of people are wondering who we think will be in the class. So I think we, you know, we could probably run down the names and see, and you know, our feelings on who we think will flee. You know, far do we end up with on Wednesday?
1: All right. Well, here's the list I've got, and this is like everybody I'm hearing mentioned, and there could be more because mom could be, working something back channels that happens all the time. Um, and we don't know how if they have any surprise defections and miss out on guys where it necessitates them going down the board or if they'd be willing to. They might want to save the spots. Regardless, here's who's left. We've uh, talked about Justin Watkins. He's committed to Florida, Richard Garage, the offensive lineman, and Griffin McDowell. So they got a wide receiver, two offensive linemen committed. Then you got Jacob Copeland, the wide receiver. We talked about him. Uh, the only other offensive skill position player you really hear mentioned is tight end Glenn Beal. Um, he's an out-of-state guy. It doesn't sound like he's coming. He didn't visit. He was supposed to. Um, I don't think he's in. Now, the two heavy hitters now, we might want to stop and pause and talk about this a little bit, are or, or the linemen on either side. Number one offensive lineman in of the nation, Nicholas petit Frere, and defensive tackle, Nesta Silvera. Um, those seem to be the Nicholas petit Frere commitment or excuse me, recruitment is wide open at this point. Nobody seems to know where he's leaning. It seems to be trending a little bit away from Florida in the buzz today. Uh, but I don't think anybody's really that confident about where he's heading. Uh, Vanessa Silvera, I know, I'm sure you guys are going to have some input on this one. We continue to hear indications that he might be seriously giving Florida a look. But we also hear indications that it's just buzz and that he's out recruiting for Miami and other things. So it's kind of hard to say what's going on there. I'm not super confident on either one of these guys at this point.
0: Yeah. We've heard the, um, the talk of Silvera about, well, I guess what about a week or so ago, guys, more than more, more, I guess a little bit more than a week or so, I guess. Of uh, and it was kind of funny if we've all kind of just came about in, in the private message we have is, Hey, I heard this about Severa. Oh, really? I did too. And our sources were different, uh, for, for a lot of the talk. So, I think there is a lot of legit talk out there about Severa flipping from Miami uh, to Florida. Uh, I still find it difficult, you know, just American heritage kids. Most of them are, you know, can you kind of see where they're leaning uh, already coming into Wednesday Uh, you know, but do they do they want to follow one another? You know, Florida's in really good shape for Chatfield. Uh, and will Severa want to follow him to Gainesville? You know, did how, how much did he enjoy his visit? What did he tell the coaches? You know, I think there's a lot of play in here. Uh, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter if he told the coaches one thing. I don't know if he did or not. I'm just saying, if he, it doesn't matter if he told the coaches one way or another, everything can change on Wednesday. And we've seen it happen. We've seen coaches who thought they would have a guy in the fold and he doesn't come and go somewhere else. So, National signing day is full of surprises, but um, it's all said and done. I I, I kind of agree with Bill. I think Silvera stays at Miami, but there's a lot of buzz out there that's saying he's coming to Gainesville.
2: Yeah, and the buzz, I think, really picked up right around his official visit. So you do wonder what the legitimacy is with that there. Um, You know, at the end of the day, though, it'd be a huge get for Florida both because their defensive line needs the uh, needs the numbers for this year but also because he just jumps off the tape I mean he's one of those guys who looks like he's playing against against middle schoolers when he's out there on the film when you're looking at it and those are the types of elite talent that Mullen doesn't really have in this class thus far he's got a lot of guys who are or he's got a few guys who are ranked top 100 so you look at Emory Jones he's 85th you look at garage he's 87th Justin Watkins is 89th the guys who were and Trevon Grimes was 41st when he came out, but Silvera's 54th, and he's he's a real strong player. So um, you know that's where I think it makes a difference to have somebody like him come in. Is he's really bordering on that elite talent, um, um, not sort of the lower tier of the top 100, which are still very good players, but they're not like the can't miss guys.
1: Yeah, I, look, I think he'd be a great, great pickup for Florida in so many ways to deprive Miami of the talent you know, when they really need him to um, for Mullen to, to overcome a late visit to the hometown school and still reel him in in that situation. On, I mean, it would just be tremendous. Uh, just I think I think that there are people talking and I think that maybe there are indications coming from Silvera that he's very interested in maybe more than that to Florida. I'm just going – I'm just having a hard time seeing it happen at this point. I'm going to have to see it to believe it. I'm going to play the negative Nelly. Um, we'll see.
0: <laughs> uh, other names, we'll see what's going to happen. But look, I think we probably you know, need to put back in there. Watkins, we all feel good about. McDowell, all feel good about. Uh, the one commitment, I think, that's kind of in question, of course, is Richard Garage, offensive lineman. Uh, A lot of Auburn talk, a lot of Clemson talk. Uh, I think he sticks with Florida in the end. But, guys, I think, you know, when I've run down the list and trying to see these other schools that Florida's in competition for, it might be a little surprising. It looks like Auburn is a school where Florida is fighting for a lot of prospects uh, coming up for Wednesday. You got Richard Garage. You have Caleb Johnson. You got Caleb Tanner. Florida's in the battle with Auburn for all three of those guys. And, you know, I think Auburn's really in, in serious in the running. Uh, Caleb Tanner as well. You know, look out for Nebraska there. But it, it does seem you hear Auburn's name when you hear Georgia's name, when you hear FSU's name, when you hear Miami's name, when it comes to who they're looking for uh, at signing on Wednesdays. So, uh, Garage, I think he's six for Florida in the end. But, uh, you know, Caleb Johnson, Caleb Tanner, I really am interested to see where those guys go.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this defensive line class shakes out for Florida and for Auburn because, like you said, they're, they're both in a numbers crunch. They both need defensive linemen. They're both after the same amount of guys, and it's going to be interesting to see which school some of his kids prefer. I mean, there is some buzz that Caleb Johnson might prefer uh, Auburn but not, might not have the chance. Um, and I, I think it might be reversed with Caleb, t- Caleb Tanner, so we'll kind of have to see how it goes. Um, but one thing I have heard is that Florida could take five to six defenders uh, if they have the opportunity to take guys they like here at the home stretch,
2: yeah, And it's a good thing they're competing with Auburn. So, you know, Auburn over the last four years has averaged nationally ninth from a recruiting perspective, fourth in the conference, and f- had 15 blue chips, which is third in the SEC. So that's the kind of program you want to be going up against them. I, I know we talked about this last week, that really going up against the big boys are the types of things we're looking for. And we also said last week that, you know, they're, that Florida's going to lose some of these battles, and that's okay. But you need to be involved in the battles, and and at the same time, Florida also can't take everybody on their board. I mean, they've got they got five potentials at defensive end that we're going to talk about, and you know they aren't taking five defensive ends. So there's a little bit of a game of musical chairs going on, both with the commits and whether they want to come to Florida and whether Florida's their first choice and whether they're going to have to you know whether they're going to have to come to Florida because their first choice isn't available. So, um, like Bill says, could be really interesting to see on Wednesday.
0: Yep. And going back to this past weekend, uh, Dorian Gerald visited as well, a Juco guy, uh defensive end. Uh said, you know, he'd like to see himself a stuff defensive end in a 3-4, but there's some rumors that he'd like to see himself stuff in a 4-3 as well. So, he might just be kind of appeasing the whoever he's talking to and writing an article or or, or whatever, but uh they seemed to enjoy his visit uh to Gainesville this past week uh and it, uh, there's been a lot of talk about jersey color when guys are are, are taking pictures <laughs> that that made the rounds on uh twitter this past weekend so uh, you know, look out for the the white jerseys and you know we'll see if that holds true or not but uh conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. <laughs> it's, it's, it's out there yeah you know, it's Will and I heard it a couple of weeks ago and we kind of shared it but, it came out on Twitter this past weekend, so, okay, uh, I won't keep that down too much longer. we we'll got to see what happens with, with the, the white helmets, white jerseys. Uh, of course, Copeland, I think, was all, all white and the orange helmet, so I don't know if the helmet has anything to do with it. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, Dorian Gerald, um, you know, a lot of people thought he might play inside uh, as well, but you know, probably Texas a and is, is in the picture. Well, Jimbo Fisher out there, uh, we'll kind of see. Like To be a Florida link, to be visited Texas A&M, Last weekend, visited Florida this pa- uh, this past weekend uh, was the other, you know, kind of big-time get that uh, besides Jacob Copeland that the, the coaching staff was after.
1: You say Dorian Gerald? Yeah. Yeah, listen, that's a guy that, uh, you know, he's really – getting a lot of attention from big time programs down the stretch here as a junior college prospect and if you follow him on twitter you really see the gratitude in that kid to, for the opportunities he's got right now and he's obviously you know had to struggle to get where he's at um and i like the fact that jimbo fisher's after him I mean, jimbo fisher's one heck of a recruiter with one heck of a track record in recruiting um but i think it looks good for florida right now I, just from everything he's posting i mean you just don't see a whole lot of aggie stuff coming out of, out yeah. of that feed um, and I think that he's a guy that will play some three, four end. Uh, I don't think he's a nose. Uh, I think he can be a 270 pound guy if, if they choose to bulk him up. I mean, even though he's got short time at Florida being a junior college prospect, maybe two years left to play. Um, but he's got, it's got an explosive pass rush and a guy that even at three, four can affect the passing game and, and probably the running game with, uh, with the way he can, especially in that one gap scheme, scheme that if they, that's what they choose to go with, um, to be just a real disruptive force in the backfield. Um,
0: the name I think uh, that that could be. Hopefully, and I mentioned it just a second ago when we're talking about Silvera and can the, can Andrew Chatfield help bring him in down there? American Heritage, uh, four star, a ton of crystal balls are kind of floating out there toward towards Florida uh, for his services. I think it, uh, you know, going down there in South Florida, getting a kid uh, as well with this new staff, being able to see this new staff go down there uh, and get and get one of those guys, a defensive end, outside linebacker, of course, another. You know, we're talking about how Florida needs what, what's on the board left. A lot of defenders are on the board, and he seems to be uh, the big one out there uh, that Florida could pull in.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think you look at Chatfield or you look at uh, you look at Caleb Tanner. Either of those guys really yeah. sort of um, Tanner, especially. I think I've mentioned that he reminds me of Alex McAllister. Um, Chat feels a little bit a little a little bit more s- somebody who's going to hold the edge. Um, potentially, would be. Um, Looks like he might be a little bit better in coverage, but again, it's it's a relatively limited film study on those guys. But, uh, but I mean, Chatfield's a big get, especially, again, taking him away from Miami um, and, and also filling a real area of need. I mean, you know, anybody who watched Florida play last year watched the linebackers struggle cu- struggle covering running backs in coverage, struggling with gap, gap integrity, those sorts of things, and, and an infusion of talent like Chatfield would be a big deal. Yeah, just to clarify,
1: Andrew Chatfield is a uh, four-star uh, outside linebacker, maybe pass rusher in a 3-4, and a guy that uh, is a teammate of Nesta Solvera. this guy's from South Florida. Uh, he was once committed to Ohio State, I believe, or at least heavily recruited by them. So He was committed to Yeah, so to, to go down to American Heritage High School down there, uh, the team made some of these other big blue-chip prospects, and to, to pull him out and take him away from Miami – at the 11th hour. It's, it's a coup for Mullen. It really is. He's a guy that can, can impact the defense, and he's a guy that uh, establishes a little bit of a a presence in South Florida for Mullen's effort, and not just for an also-ran recruit. This guy's a big-time recruit. Uh, there is some chatter that uh, Randy Russell, who we keep talking about, a guy that signed with Florida, then found out he wasn't going to be able to play for uh, a medical issue. He's been talking to Chatfield. He's been talking to Silvera. So some of the, the optimism about that package deal showing up in Florida getting both those guys is linked to the fact that Russell gained traction in talking to Chatfield, and now Chatfield might be talking to Silvera. I'm happy with, with just Chatfield. He's, he's a great addition to the class. He's uh, going to be a key member of the class. Uh, but I'm also you know, hoping that he can can influence his friend and teammate Anessa Solera and get him to come along for the ride. So we're about to find out.
0: And lo and behold, you know, we can't. It can't be easy on signing day, right? and that's what we're finding out. In the school that could be throwing a wrench into, if you believe some of the reports out there. Uh, on signing day would be Notre Dame. Uh, some talk of Noah Boykin really considering them now when he, at the, you know, a week or so ago, looked like a lot to Florida. Uh, Notre Dame's coming in and, and making him second guess. And, of course, five-star offensive tackle Nicholas Petit-Friere. Most if you talk to a lot of people now, it seems he's leaning more the Notre Dame uh, route. I still think Ohio State may be in it a little bit. Greg Schiano looks like he may be taking the job with the Patriots, so we'll see if that comes into play uh, there. A lot of people still think that the proximity to home uh, could play in, in Florida's favor, and getting a, get a, getting a degree from Florida uh, could help Nicolas Petit-Friere uh, make his decision for the Gators. But Notre Dame coming in, guys, late uh, for a four-star and a five-star uh, that Florida could really use.
1: Yeah, and I really don't want to see them end up with either one of these guys. You know, Nicholas be Fair, we've talked at length about him, number one offensive lineman in the country. He's a guy that, you know, Florida needs at a position of need, a guy that can impact the the roster and just juice the recruiting effort. Uh they, they haven't had a five star since 2015, and that's something that needs to change. And with respect to some of these outstanding football players that are in this class, Florida's best prospect should not be the class should not be down in the bottom half of the top 100 they should be able to land top 25 national recruits with regularity you know you're not going to have a dozen in the class you know but you should be able to nail some of them and and this is one of those that they should be able to land um that said the notre dame influence here the notre dame pull. It reminds me of Sam Young. I think he was back in 2006, St. Thomas Aquinas High School in Fort Lauderdale. He was a five-star tackle. He uh, was a high school teammate of Marcus Gilbert, four-star tackle, who did come to Florida. And Dan Winger, I think his name was, was a, a center who went to Notre Dame. And Sam Young, I believe, was Catholic. And, you know, the was a Catholic high school, and they went off to Notre Dame. Sometimes you have these kids that are just hard to keep home. Um, so, This appears like it could be one of those situations, but Deep Frere is is approaching this uh, apparently very cerebrally, trying to make uh, a a plan for his future and pick his college destination. So I totally respect whatever he chooses, of course. Um, But I think Mullen's doing everything he can. And I think if he loses this one, it's not one that I would really give him a hard time about.
2: Yeah, I think as far as Boykin, you can you can understand a little bit. So last year, Florida signed four corners, three of them were blue chip players, so they don't have anybody signed this year. But still, you look at sort of the depth chart and who's there, and and who Boykin's going to be competing against. And you know, I can understand why he might take a second look, um, particularly if he's starting to feel the numbers crunch and thinks he might get left out if if some of the big boys really commit to Florida. So um, you know, I think some of that might just be him looking for an all. You know, he's he's ranked uh, he's ranked 365th nationally. He's a very good player but if you have to make a decision between jacob copeland and Mm -hmm. and and noah boykin i think you're going to go with copeland even if you think even if you'd like to have a corner in the class so um you know so that may be a little bit of it as well and and also some of the guys they signed last year
0: yeah there's one other
1: possibility too here (laughs) I mean, maybe he needs a second school if he's going to have an announcement on TV. <laughs>
0: you know, I mean, that, that,
1: that does happen. And I'm not saying that he can't commit to Notre Dame. I'm sure he can. But, you know, that's one thing to understand, too. You know, by the way, I, I read somewhere Richard Garage is probably going to have an Auburn hat on the table and have an announcement. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already committed to Florida. You could look at that as bad news. Why well, have an announcement if you're going to pick the same school? But, hey, this is these kids' last chance for the spotlight. And, and if you're going to do that, you're going to have more than one finalist.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, you guys ready to put in who you think Florida signs on Wednesday?
1: As long as Will goes first.
2: (laughs) sure so I I think it's I think a realistic case for what you're going to see from Florida is likely so there's really four tiers so you got Petit Ferrer, Silvera, and Copeland who are in that top tier then you've got Chatfield and Malcolm Lamar who are sort of in the top 200 players then you got Malik Langham, Caleb Tanner, and Noah Boykin who are in that 300 to 400 range and then you got Dorian Gerald, Fabian LeVette, Caleb Johnson, and Glenn Beal sort of in that in that you know, four to five hundred range, four to six hundred range in terms of nationally ranking. I think you probably figure Florida gets one guy from each quadrant. I don't know that they're necessarily going to get Petit Frere, Silvera and Copeland if they do. And that's all they get. I think it's still a fantastic class. So, you know, I, I figure they probably bring in Boykin, Chatfield, and I'm going to go with Silvera. I think they bring in Silvera and from that lower tier, which is still very good players, but then Dorian Gerald. So those are the four guys that I think they bring in. And with those four guys, they'd be sitting at a 24-7 ranking of 258.2, which would be on par with what McElwain's recruiting has looked like the past two years in a transition class with Grimes and Van Jefferson adding extra value, too, that isn't really calculated in that. So those are the four I'm going to go with. I'm going to say Boykin, Chatfield, Silvera, and Gerald.
0: And you're you're already counting the guys that are committed, right? Washington. I'm already
2: counting Garage okay. and, and, uh, and those guys, yes. Yeah.
0: Yep. So
1: you think they take seven total and leave two spots open?
2: I'm not sure. So, I, you know, I've, I've looked back at transition classes in the past, and it's always been between 17 and 21. And so it, it, it's not something that Florida historically has loaded up on. And I do think that if that Mullen is making relationships, he spent a lot of time putting out offers for 2019 over the last two or three weeks. And if he thinks he can get better players in 2019 and then back count them to 2018, I think that's the wise move to make. The, tran- the transcendent players, I-, I just wrote an article about this, but the transcendent players come in the second class. Percy Harvin, Tim Tebow, Chris Leak, those guys have come in the second class traditionally for these coaches. And I think that's what we're really looking for next year is seeing that bump from what you said, sort of the lower tier top 100 guys to bringing in guys who are right fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and four or five of them all at once. And, and that'll really be the true test of Mullen's tenure.
1: Yeah, not that we want to stop talking about first-year classes here, but, Will, you bring up an excellent point. I mean, the second classes are are always better. I mean, in 2002 for Zook, you know, his first class was ranked 10th nationally. His second class was ranked first. Urban Meyer's first class was ranked 12th. His second class was ranked second. You know, Will Muschamp's uh, first class was ranked 11th. Uh, the second class was ranked fourth in the country And even Jim McElwain's first class Who struggled was ranked 21st But his second class jumped all the way to 12th So guys, understand that these scores We're throwing out here, what we think And, and wherever it does actually end up That should be viewed as a springboard in, Going into next year So if you finish 10th, 11th, 12th, you can almost bet That they're going to be top 10 In, in year two and recruit.
0: Bill, you want to throw yours in?
1: Yeah, I kind of went the same route. Um, he did. I left one spot open because I, I just wanted to prepare our listeners for that possibility. And, and, and I think actually 22 is the, the top uh, transition total I saw. That was 2002 with Zooks, uh, unless I've got some bad math there. But uh, no. let's see. I had them uh, keeping Justin Watkins, Richard, Richard Garage, and Griffin McDowell, the three commits they've got currently. And then I had them adding Dorian Gerald, the defensive end, Juco. Uh, i also had them added uh andrew chatfield and would be the four-star outside linebacker caleb tanner another four-star outside linebacker and noah boykin the four-star cornerback uh from the northeast of the atlantic states um and then i went with caleb johnson but i'm not actually not feeling good about that but we'll, that's that's my eight the three commits plus five and mm-hmm. i had that as a uh a total score of two five three point two five. That's two fifty three point twenty five, and that would have uh, fallen between ten and fifteen over the uh, the past five years.
0: So no Copeland for you.
1: No, no. Oh, did I not say Copeland? No. I, <laughs> I, I didn't, didn't have, have him
0: either.
1: I, yeah. <laughs> he, he was on my list, but uh, that he should be in my score there. But okay. Yeah, yeah I to I, I think they will grab Copeland too.
0: Okay.
1: I'm sorry. That was just an omission. But I did not have him landing so bare and I did not have him landing petit prayer because I want you guys to give me a hard time when it happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much be the only difference between mine and yours And I got Chatfield, I got Gerald, I'm throwing in Boykin, Copeland, Tanner and I'll put, uh, I'll be, like I- I've always said, when, when everything is, I think about 50-50, I let my bias take over. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm throwing in Petit-Priere. Not that I'm confident about it, I think it's, 50 50 uh but when i was like i said when i go 50 50 i let my bias take over so i say florida gets petit frere uh and, and, and lands a huge sunny day uh, surprise uh th- there uh but yeah i think we're, we're all pretty much on the same page of uh, of you know who they can get in i guess just the the amount of number uh i think that's kind of where we differ, and, and and i do kind of feel weird. Making it that they they take a full twenty five, you know. I went ahead and filled the nine spots with Watkins Garage and McDowell as well. Uh, so you know, I do think um, Malcolm Lamar sticks with FSU in the end. I don't see a severe flip either. Uh, but you know, it, hopefully that talk and look if that happens, then you'll start seeing some shuffling uh, along the Florida border. Kind of plays out the way I th- I think it will. You'll start seeing what they do with Caleb Tanner and and uh, and. Uh, and the other guys there. So, um, yeah, right. I, we'll I, I'm
1: ready. I just want to say I'm ready to embrace the power of the homer. I'm ready, but if, <laughs> you don't know what I've been through the last three years. Dude.
2: <laughs> it's been traumatic for Bill. I mean, yeah. This is like his wheelhouse, and yeah. he's had to I mean, pretend I mean,
1: look to at be a prospect and come on this show and say a Florida coach is going to get him. They're going to have to show. Me. It's been a long, hard road, but I'm ready.
0: I'm ready. Only, I only know what you felt for the last year. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So if so if he bring in if he brings in Silvera, Petit Frere, and Copeland, which of the Philadelphia celebrations are you going to embrace oh. when, when, when that happens there, Bill? Well, I'm not gonna climb any light poles and,
1: uh, and, I don't you're, not fli- to and you're not
0: flipping my truck.
1: No, <laughs> not eating horse poop. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but i will tell you this right now, and I want our listeners to understand this. If for some reason Dan Mullen ends Atlantic Copeland and Silvera and Petit Ferrer and holds on to the ones they got and these other guys, I'm going to freak out (laughs) and I'm going to do it on the show. So
0: So saying that we definitely will have a show Wednesday night, of course, you know, we guys, we're not going out without uh, a show on signing day. Uh, as Bill laid out for us today, uh we'll have of course full statistical analysis, everything you expect to get from Gator's breakdown. You're going to get on National Signing Day uh that night we'll have our normal Wednesday night show about 8:30 uh on Wednesday night. Uh of course, you know, they'll be making sure uh Bill and Will comparisons to past Florida Transition classes with Urban Meyer, Ron Zook, Will Muschamp Jim McElwain, uh, how's it compared to to those guys. Of course, we'll be looking at the players what they can bring to the bring to the Gators, what they would mean on the field. Uh, can any of them make an impact early? I think, uh, I think that uh, will be uh, a point of contention uh, that we can talk about there and uh, kind of grades. And, you know, it all probably in, you know, unless how Bill just spilled it out, it probably all won't be positive. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll look at some positives and negatives uh, and looking at the, uh, You know, some probably depth issues Florida will still have in in a couple of positions uh, no matter which way it plays out uh, this coming national signing day. So, guys, it's going to be a fun 48 hours uh, for us. And uh, we'll be definitely interacting with people the next couple of days and especially on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We will. And I wanted to throw this out there. um, Gatorbait.net, the 24-7 sports uh, Florida affiliate, has an announcement schedule up. um, So I'm totally saying this on there. I hope they're not mad at me for this, but uh, Caleb Tanner is going to be announced at 845. Um, Justin Watkins, is And it kicks off throughout the day. And I won't list all of these, but Nesta Silvera at 10 o'clock Chatfield at the same time. Uh, Jacob Copeland at two o'clock. So there's going to be announcements throughout the day. Uh, I encourage you to go check that out at their website at gatorbait.net. But I will be uh, tweeting throughout the day, probably do a little periscoping and, and we'll kind of crescendo with our big show Wednesday night. Um, but you guys can count on us to keep you updated as best we can.
0: Yeah. And the last one I think I saw on that list would be Richard Garage, anywhere from 230 to 245. So far do I have to wait pretty late in the day uh, to get the uh, to get the class all wrapped up.
1: Yeah, and then Mullen will walk out to the podium and say they got everybody they want. <laughs> because that's what all coaches
0: do.
2: <laughs> yeah, but sometimes you can actually tell whether that's true or not. So we'll 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 be able to tell people whether that's true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's gonna be a fun signing day this year, guys.
0: Yeah, it should be fun. Should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of fun. Remember, you can find uh, Bill on Twitter, Bill Sykes at Real B Sykes. That's Twitter handle there. Will Miles, you can find Will on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. and your host of Getter's Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GetterDave Dave underscore SEC. National Signing Day coming up in a couple of days. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to Getter's Break.